Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural podcast of I Am Teacher. This episode has been about a year in the making. I had this idea over Christmas break last year while reading the book It Won't Be Easy by Minnesota teacher Tom Rademacher. I thought to myself, if this teacher can write a book that is this entertaining and informative about teaching, at the very least I can record some conversations I have with my colleagues. So, here we finally are. I am Dan Clark, the disembodied voice, bringing you this first episode from St. Peter High School in St. Peter, Minnesota. For those of you who don't know me, I teach social studies here at St. Peter High School with a hobby for new adventures. This podcast is the newest of my adventures. It's a podcast about teachers by a teacher. There is currently a void in the world of podcasting that caters to my fellow educators, and I am here to fill it. My hope is that this podcast becomes the one that you listen to as an educator, student, or just a fan of conversations. Today, my guest is colleague and scientist, Sean Keating. Sean has an interesting story. Before his teaching and coaching career, he was a real-life scientist the field of biotechnology, where he cut and pasted parts of DNA, which I'm guessing is a lot harder than it sounds. He is also just an interesting guy who is interested in always learning something to become a more effective teacher and human being. On this first episode, we make our way through a variety of topics, so welcome. And without any further ado, here is the first of hopefully many episodes of I am teacher. So yeah, I don't know what this is going to turn into. I don't know either. I've never done a podcast. I mean, I did a couple way back in the day, but... Really? Just like when it was first starting, like, on NFL football stuff. Okay. Like, when is it? What year is this? Like, 2000... Probably 7-ish? I don't know. I feel like... It was really almost off the grid. I was on this website doing articles, and then this guy's like, I'm starting a pod- podcast. Do you want to be on? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> Sounds stupid. It'll never work, but yeah, <laughs> I'll entertain it. It's funny. Like, when I was doing that, I'd get calls from... It's just amazing how many people... Really? Oh, yeah. Did you ever do, like, radio, like radio by yourself? Like, in a studio? Never did it by myself, always, like, whether it was podcasts or calling to a radio show. But you never, um, like, sat behind the controls and, like, no, did that? No, never did any of that. No. Um, that was kind of, and that was definitely a thought at one point, um, was to get into the radio business or broadcasting or something like that, because one of the things I loved to do when I grew up was, like, I loved, like, the intros to, like, sports and, like, tonight. You know, the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers, you know, like those types of things. I, I loved those. Uh, there's a name for it that I'm missing. But um, so I'd always like broadcast my voice over those things and and practice that way. So I always thought that'd be fun to do. But like never, a like, tape recorder? Like, I never tape, just like just kind of doing it in my living room by myself. Um, and I had friends, for example, like if they were going to play in a big event. Uh, one of the things I'd do for them is I'd always leave a voicemail <laughs> and just make it super dramatic and motivating and inspirational 
And uh, I still to this day, one of my roommates in college, he was a Division One golfer, and he golfs in tournaments, and he'd be like, "Will you send me a message, you know, before I play?" So you can pump up, like you can pump up a golfer. That's pot, like yeah. I never, the mental <laughs> toughness that it's going to take. <laughs> that's amazing. You know, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and yeah. I even have a player. So I coach basketball. I have a player right now that. Uh, this summer, he asked me, he's like, would you just send me a message, like, and I'm going to play it before I work out and before I, that'll just remind me. And, you know, I, for some people, that, that's very helpful. Yeah, no, I, recording stuff, uh, I found, I use it for class now. Like, I'll record some sort of audio review for a test, and I usually do, like, you know, weird voices or presidential impersonations, <laughs> and I'll tell you what, those kids love Richard Nixon. No. Um, and I don't know, it's it's a, I feel like it's a weird hobby that, I don't know, do you think a lot, of, I don't think a lot of people are into that whole idea of, I feel like it's a small crowd that are into audio recording. I don't know. I would agree with that. I mean, it seems like YouTube is a big, you know, people love doing their YouTube channel and that type of thing. Um, but that just strict audio, I don't think a lot of people are doing that. No. Yeah, <laughs> I'm into the stuff that like should was popular like you know, <laughs> sixty years ago, even longer. Yeah. Do you do you listen to them a lot now? Like, what, is there specific ones that you like? Have there are. Like? They're more national. Like, but I listen to some coaching ones that aren't like really that big. Like what? There's like just some coaches that are like high school coaches that have started their own podcast. And what do they do? Do they sit and rant into the microphone? or <laughs> No, they, they like... usually have like another coach on and be like, hey, we're going to talk about culture today or we're going to talk about defensive strategies or whatever, you know? Yeah, I feel like there's probably a lot of podcasts out there. That's... There's a lot of good stuff. But like the people don't even know no. exists. Do you listen to a lot? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I listen to clips of them. I just don't have, like, the podcasts I listen to are, like, three hours long. Oh. It's so, like, a lot. Yeah. Um, I listen, I mean, I listen to stand-up comedian podcasts. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah. Sports, I don't know. Never really, yeah. never really got into it. Yeah. I used to watch, like, Sports Center just so I could <laughs> partake in the conversation yeah. with my friends. Yeah. So, yeah, I stick to listening to comedians rant into a microphone. They just put a guest on and make Yeah, or they, they'll just they'll just talk to the microphone by themselves. <laughs> which I don't know. Is their I think that's their form of like writing jokes. Yeah. They just rant and then they're like, "Oh, that's a good bit." And then they <laughs> elaborate on it. That's I I love stand up. That's kind of my yeah, favorite thing. Have you ever tried it? Uh <laughs> I was the host of a MSU Idol once. Okay. And that was about as close as stand-up comedy I ever got. Radio DJ, like, that was kind of, that's not really stand-up. So have you ever gone to the shows in town? No. You should do that. I don't, no. Why not? I don't know. I'm too busy. <laughs> what, are you, what are you busy with? I, it's, probably, it's probably just because I'm afraid of it. I don't know. Is there, but you like it. I know. Why wouldn't you want to go? It just, because it gives me anxiety to want to actually be. No, you wouldn't do it. I'm just saying go to the shows. Oh. But you could totally open for that. That'd be perfect. Yeah, well. Tom Leonard, do you know him? Yeah. He does stand up for that. He's he's hilarious. Okay. And this is every weekend they do that? No, once a month. Okay. Yeah, well, this 
I don't know. I thought I'd have a theme for this one. It's education, teaching. I don't know. Yeah, I struggle with, because I don't always like to just ramble. Like, sometimes, like, one of my kind of things is always to, like, shut down an answer. But that's not great for podcasts. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, like just in general conversation, I don't like to be, like... Elaborate on things? Talking just about like, myself or whatever, you know? So, like... You're speaking just declarative sentences, and that's... I it. usually... I don't know. It's kind of my general theme on life is I get all my information from books and podcasts and whatever, and then I kind of know what I think, and then, like, you occasionally know. someone will spark my interest with a good conversation, but for the most part, I just sit back and listen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, good choice for a first guest, I guess. <laughs> well, with this stuff, I got plenty of things to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You've got an interesting story. You didn't obviously think about teaching right away, right? Nope. That was like last. It was always kind of in the back of my mind, but I wanted to make money. Yeah, so I'm like, teaching. Why would you want to teach? <laughs> I read that like every, but everybody will hit a certain age, and then they realize that like what they're doing, like has no real, like there's no real benefit or societal benefit. Like you're not really helping anybody by doing your job. <laughs> Like, they, it's like an actual psychological crisis that's documented, <laughs> that everybody has. You don't have significance, basically. Yeah. Like, that's, I don't know if it's the, that's the, what the midlife crisis is, but it happens psychologically to everybody. Yeah. Is that, is that what happened to you? You're just like, mm. I mean, it was part of it, I think. Um, and so you were, a, you're a, you were an actual scientist, by the way. Mm-hmm. Sitting with a scientist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very, very esteemed. So what was, like, the, why did you go into teaching? Why, what made you do that change? I just, I, I think, like, most people, I had, you know, good teachers and coaches when I grew up, and they were always kind of the role models, and then I was in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, it's just kind of a natural fit for me, but I'm like, wait a minute, you don't make any money doing that. <laughs> so, like, in the science world, is it super serious? Is everybody just it's like pretty serious? Worried about that drove me nuts too. Plus, no one like like sports, you know, like so I couldn't have those conversations. <laughs> I can just imagine. And they might like sports, but they're like totally know nothing about it. Like they watch three minutes of Sports Center, so I'm like, yeah, no. Like, <laughs> like I blog about this. Like <laughs> that's hilarious. So you gave up on it. Yeah. Do you do you, do you still do science stuff? Like um, not besides science teaching. Like do you like have a side gig of? I used to for my first couple of years. Like I'd work, I had places I could go work in the summer and make really good money. And now I just I'm too busy. I got the coaching part of it. Like science consultant, probably. It's just like they need. They've got projects and they needed an extra. And like so, what like what would you what do you do? If I'm all my stuff was DNA stuff, like genetic engineering stuff. So I know you told me this before, but like you actually, so what you actually physically remove parts of the DNA or replace it with other parts of other DNA yeah right you're manipulating DNA to do what you want it to do so um, so yeah there's different projects I worked for private companies so I mean like what are they making so like the first one I worked for was like you're trying to we were trying to make this it's a component of carpet it's a chemical and carpet that usually you make through uh, you gotta use oil petroleum so you gotta use an energy source of you know from the earth mm-hmm. and they had a process to use bacteria to do it 
So you genetically engineer the bacteria to make this chemical in carpet through fermentation. And it, so it was a green process, right? And you're not using petroleum, you're not damaging the earth. And there was all those credits, right? Tax credits and all stuff like 2008. Right. So green was a big push and we raised all this money and we were a startup and it was like, this is gonna work. Like honestly, like I knew a lot of people and I'm like, that's gonna be, like I was one of the six scientists hired. And I'm like, with my stock options and everything, like I'm gonna be a millionaire in like three years. Like I, I really. It, did, it, it, did it work then? Oh, we, we it would have worked. But it was non Oh yeah, I think okay. Yeah. There's these two professors that started it, and they couldn't handle the business side of it, so they just got super possessive and just said, "Nope, we're done. We're taking our stuff and going home, basically." <laughs> so we all got fired. So, but so that carpet process doesn't exist. They're like they're using oil still to do it. But I haven't even kept up with it. I'm sure it is. I'm sure there is a green process now, but I don't know if it's beneficial economically. So like, how do they pin like? How does somebody come up with that idea? Like, oh, there's this carpet thing we could get into. Who has that? Who has Are like we doing this right now? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I just been recording ever since we sat down. Okay. I, you know, I the ones I listen to. I mean, the ones on the radio are heavily edited. I don't. Yeah. Ha- have time for that. I have. Yeah. I like the ones that are just like people talking to each yeah, other. I agree. And send them out, you know. Yeah. Um, but as far as like coming up with. I'm gonna, I'm gonna manipulate a, the DNA of a carpet chemical, with ba- like who, how, like how does that? Does people do people just sit around? That's yeah. their creative thinking. Is that? It's it's actually not that hard. So there's pathways in every cell, and through genetics we can manipulate those pathways however we want. And so you can, bacteria is really easy to use because they grow so fast. Like they divide every twenty minutes. Um, and it's really easy to use that as a model. So you can actually get bacteria, you can put in it like a gene from another organism, put it into bacteria, make the bacteria produce the protein you want through fermentation, just like you'd ferment you know, beer or wine or whatever. And then you just have chemists that filter that product. But you gotta scale it up, right? To a point that it would be beneficial as a business model. So. This is stuff that, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of these processes out there now, and uh, pharmaceutical drugs, for example, like insulin for um, for a lot of the patients that rather than, they used to take them from pigs and, you know, have mm-hmm. to take hundreds of pigs to get a little bit of insulin, and now they can just make it using fermentation. Wow. And so, but somebody, like, when they have creative thoughts, that is like, what if we, like, I don't have a creative thought about that I'm usually thinking about like what's funny <laughs> like how something is possibly funny yeah um, but that like I don't know it's just a totally different gear to be thinking in. I don't know do you th- is that how you think like when you're thinking of creative no. ideas what is like is that what's popping through your brain it used to be I mean no I mean those were based on technologies that came alright so if you're a scientist and you're reading like what's current, right? And all of a sudden you see a couple of these breakthroughs, they learned how to cut DNA, and then they learned how to work with it better. And once those technologies came out, people were like, oh, wait a minute. Think of all the things we could do now. Like we can take a gene from one organism, put it into another, and I think it just started to snowball. So it was like getting the technology available 
And that was the first time it was available, was like around... It started in the late, was it the late 70s or early okay. 80s, you know, and then insulin was the first product of what we, you know, bio, biotech is what we call it. And uh, so that was a company I worked for, um, but all those companies are really in Silicon Valley, in Denver, in Boston. And so when I got done doing that gig, I was like, well, I don't really want to move to one of those cities. That was in that was here in Minnesota. Oh yeah, I was in Plymouth. Okay. Yeah. And then you're like, well, teaching. There it is. How yeah. long, and how long has that been now? You've been a teacher for how long? This is my tenth year, high school. Taught for a year at a community college, and so what's the transfer like from or transition like from scientist to teacher? Is it just like a complete world of difference? Like yeah, I mean, the biggest thing when I did it was my like 8 to 5 was kind of the classic, like, cubicle, like, people that are like, man, the clock goes slow, mm-hmm. you know? Um, for me, my days were, were pretty slow. Um, so when I got into teaching, it was like, I don't, you don't even look at the clock, you know? Before you know it, it's 3 o'clock for the most part. Um, so that was the biggest thing to me, just, you know, I always talk about if you enjoy what you're doing... Or if you're just really busy, like in teaching, um, it doesn't really seem like work. And I think that's a big part of it for me. Um, so that was one of the biggest differences. And I mean, you asked the question about like your first couple of years. And for me, it was like, it was a total big change, but I was also so excited to do it. And I think once you've had a career first, you've put a lot of thought about what you're doing. Um, for people that do make career changes, I think it's a huge advantage because you kind of have this prior experience. And, you're, and you, you're just older too. Like, so how old were you when you started, wait, how old are you when you started teaching? Um, like 28. Okay. Yeah, definitely different than like, think about if you were to start at like 24. Or 22. Yeah. Like some of the, get done four years and boom. Well, like, yeah, comp- compare, like just, Comparing myself based on age, like if I were to start now, just like fresh out, I think I'd have a little bit of a different uh, perspective already, mm-hmm. you know, just being weathered by time. As you've taught for 10 years, what what has changed in those 10 years for you? Were you able to be patient with kids back when you first started? Or was it <laughs> like, I'm from the science sector where people get things done yeah. and they're efficient and then you, you get faced with like a high school classroom? Yeah, I think probably patience for sure. I mean, I was hardcore about cell phones, about behavior. Um, I would get on kids really pretty hard um, and demanded a lot. And I think back to like the first classes I had and <laughs> kind of feel sorry for those kids because <laughs> here comes this guy coming in and trying to teach science at a super high level and probably a lot of really hard readings that overwhelmed a lot of the kids. Um, but at the same time, when you do that, what's amazing is you ask expect, expectations high, and a lot of times the kids will still meet them, you know? So, um, but I think overall, yeah, just over time, I've gotten more patient. Um, things that used to bother me just, just don't anymore, and you just understand that, I mean, if you don't have patience in this business, you're gonna drive yourself crazy because you can't control everything like you want to. You know, but I feel like it's people that don't have patience, that, like they've been teaching for a while, and they're just like they're still impatient. I don't know how that happens. Um, 
But yeah, I would say that's probably the most important thing. Not freaking out over the things that you don't need to freak out about. I'd probably tell myself that if I was to start over. Like, hey, just let it go, man. Yeah, it's not worth it. Yeah. yeah. And it seems the teachers that have been here a long time, they freak out more about administrative things and adult things more than they do maybe about kids in their classroom, you know. So have you changed this, like, in general, philosophy-wise, like, teaching? Do you still, I mean, I'm sure you still have high expectations. Did you have, like, a moment where, like, oh, that's not going to work, and I'm going to completely shift everything I do to this new way of teaching, or has it always kind of been the same idea since you started? I don't know. Yeah, I think there's, that's probably where the science background for me kind of is a benefit and a hindrance. I mean, like, I'm always looking for a better way to do things. So I love going to professional development, I love reading, I love, you know, seeing what's out there, uh, the best ways to challenge kids and help them learn. But, um, so I think I definitely have changed. I mean, I think of every year with, um, you know, what we do PLC-wise and collaboration and all those things, um, you're trying to kind of just do it better every year. And so I think... A lot of my labs in the past, for example, were more like, here's a lab, here's the steps, you should get to the, the answer, for example. Um, whereas now, through what I've learned as a teacher and through you know best practice, it's more, here's a problem, kids, and go investigate it, and you learn by doing. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've, you know, in science, it's really easy to do that because you can be hands-on and... Um, pose a question and let kids just kind of experiment with it and play with it and try to kind of figure it out on their own rather than kind of doing the traditional school which is more here's a question and then you should come to this answer and if you don't then you're wrong whereas science you know that's not how it works science you're wrong all the time pretty much and unless you have some big huge discovery how much do you throw out every year percentage wise what do you end up totally chilling yeah it didn't work gone Oh, I'd say 25% maybe, um, whether it's a lab or it's the way I taught something or maybe even more than that, now I think about it. Um, I just think of these first two weeks and I've, I've taught them completely different than I have in the past and sometimes I'm like, God, how did I teach it like that in the past? That was terrible. How could yeah. a kid ever understand that? No, I just redid revamped one total thing and I just look back like god that's, that was terrible <laughs> my god I've been teaching for quite like a while and you think I would have figured that out by then but yep I agree always something to just like chop off sacrifice burn off yep. um, the stuff that you read what is one that you read that I don't know really you, you think of all the time that changes that changed everything or the one that really did it for me was the number one factor for kids or for learning or that the shows that kids learn the most from is that they learn from somebody who they have a relationship with. No matter what, that's like the, the number one on every study they do. The relationship is the one thing that matters the most. If you focus on that, you win. That fact, that statistic, that study really shifted it for me. So is there anything for you like that that you... That has impacted my teaching? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think overall, I think most of my teachings kind of off that Carol Dweck, like, 
growth mindset um, in her book on you know growth versus fixed mindsets. Um, I share it with all my classes to start the year. I talk about it quite a bit about just the differences between those two. And you know, science is a classic example because I, I ask the kids always on a note card when they come in, "What are your thoughts on science in general? Do you think you're good at science?" And majority of the students come in thinking science is stupid and I'm not good at it. I'm just here to get through it. Um, now you have the upper level kids that are taking electives that they have a little bit of a different tone on it. So when you're working with a customer base, right, who 80% of your kids don't want to be there and don't think they can do it, you have to change their thinking a little bit. And so that's why I share that with them. Um, and we talk about what a growth mindset means. Um, and it means that when challenges come up where they're going to because you've already predetermined that you're not good at it um, how are you going to handle it and are you just going to think that i'm not good at it i can't do this or are you going to think like we as teachers think and as a lot of people think that anybody can learn this i mean chemistry yeah can it be hard but it's it's not like you can't learn it it's not like it's just some unbelievable mystery or something you know there's core principles just like anything else and they all can be learned um, so I think when I share that with students with some of them and I have them reflect on it I have them actually write a paper on it when they start my class and they a lot of them are like yeah that makes a lot of sense that I should embrace challenges and believe in myself and you know not believe I'm a failure just because I don't do one problem right but then it's a matter of applying it right so like today we had a metric quiz 10 questions I ask them to get 8 out of 10 they can move on if they don't they need to to redo it and the kids that have to redo it it's like well I'm not doing that again you know they want to just move on and think they're a failure and you have to kind of change their way of thinking so for me that's definitely probably the foundational text that I use the most in teaching and in coaching that, that's kind of the, is it the grit kind of type stuff too or not I think that's a little bit different but that is part of it um, it's just kind of that that thinking of the fixed mindset of I can't I can only do things I'm naturally good at basically right. and if I'm not good at it I don't even want to try it do you think you fall into that trap ever like do you think you're always in a growth mindset I may fall into that but I, I definitely have the you know if I want to put in the effort I know that I can like for example drawing I've always been terrible but I know if I took a drawing class, I could get better at it and be okay. That's kind of on one of my to-do lists, just so I could be able to draw something on the board better than I can right now. <laughs> but I, the other part of that is I always think you need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and there's things, you know, just with our staff and stuff, right? You're, you speak in front of the staff and the school body quite a bit. That's something I'm not super comfortable doing. I know that I could be okay at it, but I just don't really like putting myself in that position. And it's just, I think it's a matter of, you know, kind of decisions you have to make if that's something that you really want to do. It's not comfortable. <laughs> like it never... Does it ever get better? No, it never is comfortable. I'm always like ready to throw up <laughs> right before I like say What hi. do you think about? Just running out of things to say. Like, in, when I'm in front of a class, I'll start a sentence. I'm not even sure what the end of that sentence is yet, you know. Um, but if I, if I don't, if I, like, stop mid-sentence and don't finish it, it's like, well, I got nothing. 
<laughs> and it's only like 20 some kids and I don't feel bad but like just the sheer number of yeah. people it makes me like I feel uneasy like thinking about it right now but I, mean, I don't know I'm able to do it I guess um, and do you have to remind like how you must have to remind kids though like of the growth mindset thing oh yeah like every yeah. day right all the time all the time and but ultimately and that's one of the things I've learned too over the years is like it's great to acquire knowledge but acquiring knowledge is doesn't do anything for you it's what you do with it and so it's great that I tell kids growth mindset fixed mindset but if they're not going to do anything with it it's not going to help them you know and so that's the biggest challenge is like you know sometimes I think I take take on too much and try to change too much like last year I remember teaching and like I tried to make wide scale changes and it was just too much that I I wasn't doing anything really well I didn't feel like I was just trying to do all these different things rather than keeping it simple and I think in education that happens uh, where we just need to focus on the simple things how about problems wise or changes that you think we should make in education it's a good uh, I've got all kinds of answers for this <laughs> um, you know the sleep one is obviously interesting um, what's best for kids is obviously a later start research has proven that but schools are hesitant to do that for the most part because of the busing schedule and athletics and all those things doesn't that make you crazy as a scientist it does because if if that's best practice then why aren't we doing it that's like a really simple cosmetic or basic change that yeah. we just like it doesn't i don't know it doesn't seem like a difficult change to make like just move this time to this time yeah like it's a simple easy thing to do right you'd think so and it would I, benefit but not i think it's like, like just yeah it's the whole like status quo right like making changes how do you reason that with everybody in the public and you know, are you gonna make people uncomfortable because you're changing um and that's why i say like you have to be willing to and i know and i don't do enough research on all the schools out there but i know there's schools that are doing it right and all over the country that are doing late starts and you know they've decided to take the leap and then you got to follow it up with data is this helping students learn more and if it is then why aren't we doing it you know so that'd be one and then i think overall what i've seen in education is is we all know how busy our schedules are we're teaching or we have a duty and our schedules get super busy and to collaborate with other professionals becomes very challenging and i just think schools need to decide hey teachers collaborating with other teachers is should be a number one thing because that's how you get better and that's just not built into our day or built into the summer since i've been teaching probably one of the harder things that i had to deal with going into teaching was kind of that mantra you get from your buddies you know oh you only work nine months out of the year i don't know how many times i've heard that but and anyone knows that if you really care about teaching you are putting in significant time in the summer and you're thinking about what you're doing and you're trying to get better at it. And to me, there's there's all kinds of opportunities that administrators would have to, to kind of challenge teachers and pr promote that professional development within the school year. But you have to be willing to change the schedule. And very few districts are willing to do that, it seems, because it takes away from teachers in front of the kids. So <clears throat> that's one of my ideas is start an hour later and that first hour of the day should be teachers collaborating, talking about 
their schedules, their lesson plans, their assessments, how they're going to make things better. I think that would that'd be a way to kind of promote better education. Yeah, this is. I mean, this right here. This is my tiny idea to like talk to my coworkers more and like collaborate with them, pick their brain a little bit. And this, like, I had this idea like over a year now, and I just yeah, there's no. There's no time, you know. It's pretty hard to carve out even this hour to just sit down and talk. I think I've had days where I just don't, I don't even see you at all. Like, I wouldn't even know if you were here or not. No. Um, I just see the four core people that are, whatever, the six that are in my pod. Yeah, that's a good one. I definitely don't talk to my fellow teachers enough. Yep. Well, and you talk about relationships, right? as being the number one thing well they're just as important within your staff and if I'm not seeing you for three three months for two weeks it's kind of hard to have a good relationship you know um, and to learn from each other so I think you know everything in life is about what you want to prioritize and emphasize and um, you know I think as educators there's only so much we can do but there's things at a, at a higher level that I think need to be looked at yeah, those are good. Like, when is the last time you you actually like you sat down in a small room with somebody? Is this like this is a strange situation, right? Yeah, unless you're in an interview or something, right? And like, I don't know. This doesn't feel weird, does it? No, no. I put what kind of music do you listen to on here? I don't know. I think part of this podcast, I also wanted people like maybe fr- like they go to school here to hear their teachers talk to each other, mm-hmm. know a little bit about them, kind of that relationship piece. Um, so I don't know, what do you what do you listen to? I'm curious. If I had to guess, I feel like you're, I don't know, some sort of classic rock guy or something like that. Is that a pretty fair bet? I, I definitely enjoy my classic rock. My number one would definitely be country. Okay, um, country boy, huh? I'm a country boy. That's definitely my go-to, but I really like any type of music except for like heavy, heavy rock. Like, not a big Metallica guy, not a big like just heavy rock, but pretty much anything else I'm pretty go with the flow. And I'm not a type of guy that's like researching music and super picky. Like, I'm totally like a guy that's just like, whatever's on the radio and cool with the kids, <laughs> I'm cool with it. Okay. You know? I have friends that are like, oh, how can you listen to that? That's so mainstream. I'm like, I don't have time to find music that's not mainstream. So, I'd like to, I, I'm hoping that one of these that I interview is like, gives me something really not, something I'm not expecting. Oh, yeah, I'm really, really into the Insane Clown Posse. They really get me what going. Is that? that? That's like a super metal, gotcha. heavy metal, like, they dress as clowns. You know, you know who the, you don't know who the insane clown posse is. I don't know the ICP. <laughs> they have like an entire following called the Juggalos. You know, okay. Yeah, they get together, dress up like clowns. Mm, clowns scare me. And it's like it's a big it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, you should you should look that up. Um, so I'm not sure what the length of this podcast will be. Maybe I'll cut it down to thirty. Maybe I'll just let it, let it ride. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I guess I'll just wrap it up with one piece or do you have, is there anything else on there that you want to talk about for sure that I skipped over um, I, mean, I don't even I don't know what I'm doing really yeah I see at the end of you got a piece of advice that you'd share that's actually um, you know something because there's a lot of advice that you give kids every day yeah. right 
Yeah. Like, write a complete sentence. Uh-huh. Work on that. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, so, but like, what is the one that you really wish they would actually listen to? Because they don't, there's a lot of things that yeah. just in and out, you know? Yeah, that's, that's kind of tough. Um, in my classroom, I do a quote of the week every week. Um, and I try to, you know, pick something inspirational or for them to think about or positive. So, as far as the one thing, I guess, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite quotes is, is hope is not a plan. And uh, I always joke with the kids before a test, if you just hope you're going to randomly fill in these bubbles correctly, <laughs> you got another thing coming because you got a better chance of winning the lottery. Um, so I think that's kind of the one thing, and I kind of joke about it, but I do stress it, you know, you got to have some type of, you have to think about things and have a purpose to what you're doing um, and have some type of plan. You know, as these kids plan to do something post high school, whatever it is from college to the workforce to going into the military, um, you have to sit down and really think about what you want to do. And a lot of kids are just too busy with their social lives and with social media and whatever it is that they don't spend that time. So I think, to me, that's one of the biggest things that I know, for me personally, I didn't even learn until I was after graduate school. Um, I was actually in graduate school. I had uh, gone through my undergrad and was gonna go be a dentist. Right. Because I thought, well, I'm gonna make pretty good money and I can work four days a week and have a lake home and I could (laughs) golf a lot. My father was a doctor, I have a sister who's an eye surgeon, a brother who's a lawyer, I've got two other sisters that are married into some pretty good situations, business owners, so uh, there was a lot of pressure on me, I felt to make money, and so I, I kind of went that route, and it didn't work out for me um, originally, and I kind of chased it a little bit, but it wasn't until I read a book called What Color Is Your Parachute, and it's a book that's basically like a kind of a strengths finder what do you really want to do with your life and it puts you through all kinds of exercises to really get to know yourself better and to me that's one of the things I guess going back to this is kids need to understand themselves better and the only way you can understand yourself better is to think to write to read and those are things that I don't think a lot of kids are doing anymore um no, they don't sound, I mean, they don't, yeah. You try and sell that to a kid, and they're just like, what? Yeah. You want me to write? You know, how many kids are journaling? How many kids are just writing about their thoughts, you know? But did you write about your thoughts before that book? Really? A little bit, but yeah, not a lot. Not a lot. I was always a type of person that would write down goals and stuff, and I was pretty, I think even before I knew I was doing it, but I was just a little bit of afraid to kind of follow what I really knew I wanted to do Um, and I think even if I look back now to high school I knew I was going to be a teacher and a coach I just didn't want to admit that I'd never make a lot of money (laughs) (laughs) yeah I don't I don't I didn't start writing stuff down until like I was well into college I think that's I but like don't you think someone did someone probably tell you that at some point like you should be writing this stuff down or write something down or put this on paper. I don't think anyone told me. I think I got to a point in graduate school, I was doing a graduate degree in microbiology, didn't really know what I was doing, and thought I'd reapply to dental school. 
And I just said, I don't want to do that. And so it was just a great time in my life. I was up doing research, um, getting paid to go to school, and I just had time to be by myself at night and just kind of think and write and really think about what I wanted to do. Um, and I think that's really the only way, you know, no one's going to do it for you, right? We tell kids that all the time. Like, I can give you all the strategies and tell you these things, but you have to do it for yourself. And ultimately, that's what I did. And um, once it's your own plan, your own vision, then all of a sudden you have a, a real sense of purpose, I think, and then you really attack something. You know, when I went back to get my teaching license, uh, I remember walking in and, and meeting with the advisor or whatever, and she said, yeah, we can get you done in about two and a half years. And I said, two and a half years? I, I have a master's in science. Like, I can teach at colleges right now. And you're telling me it's going to take me two and a half years to get a high school teaching license? <laughs> yes, that's exactly and what I'm And spend doing. another 25, 30 grand or whatever it was? And I just said, figure out a way to do it as fast as possible. And we figured out a way to get it done in 10 months. And what? I got it done in 10 months. <laughs> How'd you do that? Uh, I went to class during the week, at nights, Saturdays, Sundays. I had a program that went from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, so every Saturday, Sunday, I was in there. Just because you're like, unacceptable. Yeah. Cut this down. You know? Call and I think you find that a lot with older people that pursue whatever, you know? The average starting age for med school now is something like 27 years old. Um, those people that have bad those life experiences like you talked about, they kind of have it. They know, hey, this is what I really want to do. Um, and once you know that, I think it's a huge, it's a huge bonus because you know you think about the people that figure out what they want to do when they're really early and they just start spending their time, like Steve Jobs in the garage and just playing around with stuff like there's no substitute for experience there's none and those are all the like those are all the greats like everybody that's amazing at what they do it started when they were like yeah they knew when they were like five and so like do you, i wonder if kids are kids just you know scared to do that you think or there's just no one telling them to do that because I, I mean i'm trying to have kids write that stuff but they don't they don't really elaborate they just like get this done right as little as possible. Yeah. So like why? Like I don't know. Do you think they just don't want to put it on paper? And like it scares them to put something out there that they can fail at. It might be. It might even be sharing it. You know. Um, you want to talk about a book that I've read recently that's really changed the way I think is it's called Willpower. What is it? Willpower doesn't work. Uh, by a guy named Ben Hardy and he's a PhD say, psychologist it's super interesting but he talks about every day how he starts his day he gets up early he goes to the gym he literally sits in his car for 45 minutes and just writes in the gym parking lot? in the gym parking lot so imagine like 5 o'clock it's dark out <laughs> And he writes, he says, this is him as a psychologist, says, you should do your writing away from like your normal environment. So you shouldn't be writing at home, you should be writing at work, because those environments are kind of, the way he explained it was, um, your great ideas don't ever come in those environments because you're always there. 
and he's like, you need to go somewhere else. And so that's just kind of how he starts his day, and he does his journaling, and he talks about, you know, whatever it's his goals, things that went well, didn't go well, just kind of whatever his mind wanders to, and it's just for him. Like, it's not for anybody else. Um, but his thought is just putting your words down on paper, um, and he advises to write them down, not type it. He, he thinks there's more help in actually handwriting. Um, but he's a big believer in that, in journaling and writing down your thoughts, your struggles, your visions, all those things. Um, and I thought that was, was really interesting and kind of verified some of the stuff that I've been doing previously. Like what? Just writing down your, just writing stuff down? Yeah, I, I do it on my computer. I have a Google Doc that's just basically, um, it's just a log. It's like a, it's like a written journal and I put in a new day and I have an entry and it might be a video I watched that I thought was super um, informative. It might be a thought or a quote or whatever, and I'll just write about it and just kind of, and I don't do it every day because we get busy, but um, I've got a document that goes back eight, nine years. But So do you go somewhere strange to do it? Like, doesn't going to the same strange place every time that men then make that strange place known territory? So that's how he starts his day, and then he advises one day a week, you go somewhere. And I don't know where he came up with this, but he's like, go somewhere at least 20, 30 minutes away from your house and just pick a random new spot and go and write. Um, so there's actually businesses, like corporations that have taken this on where they give employees like one day, you know, it's how much employees are not working at home, uh, or not working at work, they're working at home or somewhere else. but. That's what he'll do is take, and he talks about some of the best writers, what they'll do when they really need to write and meet deadlines. They'll just go to some place they've never been before, pick whatever spot, and that's what they say. A lot of them will do their best work. Really? That makes sense. There's a documentary called Muscle Shoals, and it's about this place called Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And you wouldn't think of it, or think it, but that place is like the place that most amazing musicians from like the the 60s and 70s they go there and they make they made like some of their most amazing music hmm. um and it's a great documentary um i think it's on netflix but that's kind of that same idea i guess because they're not people that people that went there weren't from muscle shoals like the black keys went there like more recently and they i think that's where they they put out their whole el camino album which had a lot of, it was an amazing album. Um, but they weren't from Alabama, they just went to this like rundown studio and made a great album. So like, is there, what, scientific proof or like data to back that up or is it just like a hunch that everybody has? Is that what they It mean? is definitely based on, re so that, you know, in science we talk all the time about nature versus nurture, right? Mm -hmm. Like who you are, is it based on your DNA or is it based on your environment? And um, there's a lot of research that now shows from a DNA level that your environment, in fact, is changing more of you than your, your actual DNA is. In really? fact, there's, there's a whole field called epigenetics, which is basically shows if, if, if you, if Dan Clark were to grow up in Ricori, where you did, right? Cold Spring. Cold Spring, versus some other place, Okay. your DNA 
would literally express its genes differently based on environmental factors. Okay, so whether that's the people you're around, whether that's the, the environment as much as the weather, your teachers, your friends, all of that goes into changing the way your DNA is expressed. So now that we know that, we know that an environment makes a huge impact. And there, you know, there's a lot of great research in that book just about the people you're around, right? I mean, there's certain people in your life that when you're around them, you think differently. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. When they're I'm around certain people, I will, yeah, I'll be rattling off like good jokes, and that's where my brain's at. Like it's all, yeah. it's, all it's trying to do. What happens when you go to that random place? Like, how does that? What does that just like throw? I your... think it becomes yeah, it helps you become more reflective, and maybe opens your brain in a different way. Um, I know, like I just went to Charlotte, North Carolina, over the summer for a coaching clinic. And I know like some of my friends are like, why, why would you do that? Like, why would you go to North Carolina? Like you can go to clinics all around here. And part of it for me is to be, and I didn't really know this until I read this book this summer, but it's to be in an environment where I'm with people that don't know me. I can express my views freely without any prejudgment or seeing ideas that maybe I've seen before. And I think it just opens up my kind of creativity side of it. And then I do a lot of journaling and stuff when I'm in those environments. Um, but I think it just allows you to have a like a change in scenery. Like he even talks about just a change in a coffee shop and the people you see. Like it just triggers, triggers you to think differently when you're seeing things environmentally that just look different. Wow. Yeah, I never, I never thought of that. I don't. I've never gone somewhere else to, but it makes sense. Like I've sat in conferences, in sessions that were not very good and I'll be jotting things down. And that's when I come up with like an entire, like the, the entire purpose of one of my classes. Like I came up with my boundary waters trip for my avid class, like at some conference where I was sitting there and I had this moment just like, wow, what if I did that? Boom, did it, amazing, yeah, that's, I say a lot of your ideas come when you're kind of casually, like, like you're driving, for example, right? And you're th kind of thinking, like maybe you're driving through a new country, new new scenery or whatever it may be. But yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. I think people should try it. Like, just pick a spot, go somewhere you've never been, and just kind of see what you feel. You could even journal about what do you, what do I feel when I'm somewhere I've never been? Okay? And I think all of us can pick something within 20 miles that. We've never been there. I think that's the piece of advice right there. Go somewhere strange <laughs> and write something down. No. All right, well, I don't know. I had fun doing this. It's been, yeah. It's been like an hour, I think. Um, yeah, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end on that. This has been good. Sounds Keep some good. more for a later date when you know, I'm on episode 1000. There you go. I'd like to see that. It took, you, it, took, it, took, it took you a year to get to one, so <laughs> 1,000 should be right around the corner. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, so I think they said the average, I don't know if you told me this or someone told me this, but the average length of a podcast is like five episodes, and then it's, it just dies. So this could be one of five. <laughs> or one of many, I don't know. And it will live forever. But I feel like if, if I do this long enough, or enough times, I'll get better at talking to people. Oh, no, no. Or interviewing. 
because I don't think I'm very good at it. Um, yeah. You learn by doing, there's no doubt. Yeah, I can't wait to get somebody in here that I'm not comfortable talking to. That'll be fun. I'll record it. But yeah. I, like, I also like the idea of having some sort of evidence that, as a history person, like that I, I existed, that maybe someday... Somebody will uncover and it won't be yeah. like even my to my 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 to do list books. Like yeah. I'm keeping those like in sets, you know. Oh really? Like my blue teacher daily reference. Like I have for the last four years kept yeah. them as my artifacts. I don't know. Yeah. I have this weird idea that it's it'll like wouldn't you wouldn't you like to know like from an ancestor mm-hmm. long long ago like. What the hell they were thinking about, no, or like no what doubt. they sounded like, yeah, you know. Yeah, I've wanted my dad to make a video for a long time. We're just asking questions, but we just haven't gotten around to it. But put that damn camera down. Is that what he's, <laughs> is he just doesn't want to be on? No, film? I think he would. I think he would. We just haven't just haven't had the time. Oh yeah, there you but go. yeah, he's seventy nine, so I better get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. All right. Well, thanks, Sean. Yeah, appreciate it. Job well done. Well, we'll see about that. Thanks for listening. The only correction I feel I have to make is regarding the Black Keys album mentioned in the podcast. The album that they made in Muscle Shoals was not El Camino. The title was Brothers, which after some basic research turned up that was uh, their most successful album to date. Further proving the theory that doing your work in a different environment has a definite effect. I highly suggest giving it a listen, available on Spotify, YouTube, wherever music is broadcasted. Thanks once again to Sean Keating for sitting down with me to chat. All of the books and documentaries mentioned in the episode can be found in the podcast description. Be sure to show your support by rating or even reviewing this podcast on whatever platform you are hearing this on. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore Mr. Underscore Clark. Drop me a line. At least that's what the kids say. Thanks again. And we will see you next time here on I Am Teacher.